You're listening to Random Fit with hosts Wendy Batts and Ken Miller, winner of a Gold Markham Award for Digital Media. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Random Fit episode with myself, Wendy Batts, and friend um, and colleague here joining me, Mr. Ken Miller. Ken, how are you today? I am well, Wendy. Thank you. You're looking good, looking sharp in that plaid. Well, you know, I try. I, you know, I dressed up today because we have a very special yeah. guest. Um, Ken, you have heard me talk about him a lot because yes. I got the opportunity to meet um, this person that's going to be coming on. His name is Michael Watts. I actually met him through Under Armour when we did this thing called The Workout that they put on ESPN, where we got to bring some of these amazing youth athletes to their headquarters. And we did all different types of assessments and performance um, analysis on these guys in various sports. And it was absolutely amazing. And this guy, I was like, I thought I was smart. And then I met Michael and then I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I have a lot to learn. Um, but we do have Mike Watts joining us today. He is the head um, of performance and science at Alter, which is actually a pioneering at-home fitness system that I'd love for him to talk about on another episode. Um, but he is an amazing trainer. He has done so many things. He works with um, top athletes and CEOs. He specializes in breathing and movement and recovery. So today we are going to bring him on and we're going to talk about breathing and movement efficiency. So Mike, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Wendy. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Cam. Mike. Thanks for coming on. Um, when I know that uh, Wendy's, you know, talked about you to me and all the great things that you've done in your uh, previous uh, job description and what you're doing now. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic of uh, breathing. I mean, and for selfish reasons, too, because I within the last couple of years, I've taken on jujitsu. And so breathing is just, you know, when someone's got their chest on you and you're just trying to, okay, find a time to calm down and breathe. So for selfish reasons, I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I be a better martial artist? Or even for some of my clients who are um, mixed martial artists, breathing is one of those things that it's almost enigmatic. So one of the things I want to ping off of you, Mike, is that when it comes to breathing, Outside of martial arts and talking about, let's say, the corporate athlete, somebody who's sitting at their desk, they're not really exerting themselves, but yet we all know that breathing is important. How can I convey to them why we should care about breathing? Yeah, so it's something we all have in common. So whether you're a professional athlete, a CEO, or just a person who's in the general population, we all have to breathe. Um, it's something that we do quite regularly, um, at least sort of around 20,000 times per day. So it's happening a lot. And it's the first thing we do when we enter this world. And it's the last thing we do when we leave the world. So we know that breathing is important because basically respiration is feeding our cells and tissue with oxygen to sustain life. So at its most basic function. That's why we all need to breathe. And then part of it for me is there's a health and wellness pathway to breathing, and then there's a performance pathway. Everyone can benefit from the health and wellness pathway. When we think about, okay, if I can optimize this process that I'm doing subconsciously up to 20,000 times per day, when we look at the research and the literature, we understand that there's three domains to breathing. And it's the biomechanics, 
So this is really where you think about movement efficiency. Then there's the biochemical side. We're thinking about oxygen delivery. And then we're thinking about the, what we call the psychophysiological side, which is more the nervous system or autonomic nervous system or stress response. So we can all benefit from those areas or those domains as human beings. It's just at what level we want to push our breath work to optimize it. And as a, a, a sort of a, a proxy for you, a recent study looked at nearly 2,000 athletes across multi-sports and 91% of them had some form of dysfunctional breathing pattern. So what we also need to understand is just because you're an athlete or you exercise regularly doesn't necessarily translate into good breathing mechanics. So when it comes to breathing, you have to train it. it it's something that you have to dedicate and train. And hopefully we'll get into that a little bit, but just to ground us all in, we all have to do it. We may as well optimize it and it's going to help the way that we think, feel and perform. So, so Michael, this brings up a, a question just based on exactly what you just said. You said that 91% had some sort of dysfunction. How do you, like what, what determines dysfunction? Because we're doing it, we're breathing in and out. That's how we live, which you, you said. So like, how do you measure that? Yeah. So, so there's a number of assessments that, that will be in the literature, but if we do this a little bit more subjectively and you'll often hear functional breathing or functional movement, it's functional for the given moment in time. So if we think about a continuum, one side is where we're probably at rest or we're sleeping or we're doing low intensity activity. And there's a way that we would breathe there to optimize our process. So if we think that type of breathing would be nasal, it would be slow, it would be deep, it would be controlled. And then as we get into more higher intensity, that's when things will change, but we still want a command and control where breathing may become faster. It may become a little bit more noisy, but we want to make sure that we can maintain some good mechanics. So it all comes down to, let's make sure you're functional for the given moment in time. And no matter where you are, it all begins with the fundamentals and the foundation. No matter where you want to take your breath work, you have to get the fundamentals right in terms of let's get it right at rest. Let's get it right for sleep and let's get it right during low intensity activity. Because if you don't build that foundation, there's no chance when you go and do like, do certain breathing exercises or try and get, gain a control of your breathing. So for everyone, it all starts at the foundation. So you're, you're talking foundation. You're, you're mentioning some keywords that I just shared this morning uh, with my clients about foundational movement patterns or foundational components to long-term success when it comes to not just performance, but health and wellness. And we know that the word recovery has been popularized over the last four or five years. And when when you talk about recovery, you're also talking about sleep. So talk to us a little bit about how when you when you're talking about breathing and it's just something that we do first thing, you know, first thing we did when we were born, last thing we do before we die. But when it comes to maximizing, whether you're sitting behind the desk or you're a, or if you're an athlete, how do we maximize breathing or what are some components about breathing that we need to consider for the sake of recovery? as well as sleep. So 
let's establish what this normal breathing pattern is and looks like during mm. sort of rest and breathing like movement becomes corrupted usually over time and as children are influent uh, um sort of infants we usually have better mechanics and then as we get older it tends to be corrupted through our environment the thing is with breathing is very multifactorial what can influence it so movement efficiency nutrition environmental um lots and lots of different things stress so to ground ourselves we would say okay let's re-establish what the normal breathing pattern is and we would have in through the nose out through the nose with a natural pause so we follow that rhythm okay so i'm going back to nasal and it has the natural pause really critical the position of the tongue is in the roof of the mouth very gently it will relax the jaw and open the airway and then the direction of the breath is towards the back of the throat and down into the back. It's not up into the head. The anatomy of the face and the nose is not going up into your brain. It's moving towards the back of your throat. So we establish that first and foremost. Can somebody breathe in that manner? And it can be quite challenging for people. Once we can establish that, we're looking at three key areas. Is it calm? So basically, is it not noisy or noisy we want it to be calmer we don't want it to be high velocity or forceful we want it to be nice and calm is it deep so when we look at deep what we mean is if we will look at our lower two ribs and we take a c-shape and put them around those lower two ribs do we feel a three-dimensional expansion from the front the sides and the back and then finally what is the tempo so is it fast or slow a normal breathing rate for somebody's around 12 to 18 subconsciously. So we want a slower rate towards 12. Obviously, when we go into more uh, formal exercises, we slow it right down. But that's where we start, Ken, in terms of let's get the function right in terms of the direction of breath, the tongue position, what we're actually using, and then look at the form in terms of can it be slow, can it be deep, can it be quiet? And that sets people up. And as simple as it sounds, what I have people do is whenever you think about your breathing and you've got at least 20,000 opportunities per day is can you convert as many breaths as possible into that rhythm? And that's a really easy start point and it makes a huge difference to people. Interesting. Well, I have an off-topic question. Well, I mean, it's on-topic, but it's definitely not anything that we had written down. So back back in the day, uh, you know, we, if you're dancing and cheering and doing things, we had to like withstand like a smaller frame. They wanted you to be as tiny as possible. Again, this is a long time ago. And they taught us to do like more breathing with your chest than your stomach because they didn't want your stomach to stick out and come back in, right? They always wanted you to be the smallest at the waist as you possibly could be. Mm -hmm. So that obviously is training dysfunction, correct? And then like, do you want your chest to move? Do you want the stomach to move? Should it, I mean, I know you're talking about the two ribs, but what about the, what about the rest? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and I'm aware I didn't touch upon the recovery and the sleep, which we can get to, but, but really where you're here now is the mechanical part of breathing. And we have primary breathing muscles, which is mainly our diaphragm and some of our intercostals and then accessory muscles. Really the diaphragm is working to pull air into the lungs and then push air out, but like Boyle's law, high to low pressure. When we think about 
why do we use the chest and the neck? And this is where movement efficiency plays in. If somebody's short and tight, we know that they will dominate. So if somebody's short and tight in the pec, scalenes, extensors, they're going to move in that fashion. The reason those accessory muscles come into play is because they want to lift the cavity to allow more air in during high intensity exercise. Low intensity, this shouldn't be being required to be used as much. So when we go back to that circumstance of, I'll oh, breathe from your chest, that was purely aesthetic. In terms of um, reducing the risk of injury for you as an athlete there, or increasing your performance, we have something called this zone of apposition where basically the diaphragm is a dome, sort of sits um, on, the, on the spine and the ribs. So you breathe in, it moves down, you breathe out, it returns back to normal. That actually helps you brace and support stability of the spine. When we think about the diaphragm as a core stabilizer, if you're breathing in your chest, this muscle is not working properly. If this muscle is not working properly, then we start to see problems in terms of movement efficiency, stabilization of the spine. So that's, in my opinion, would be a pretty bad idea. And that's where it comes into, you're probably leaning more on aesthetics versus function. So that's what's wrong with me, Ken. <laughs> not, not the only thing wrong with you. Andy, I but, knew you were going to say yeah. something. <laughs> you set yourself up there. Yeah, no, thanks for that that explanation, uh, Mike, about the diaphragm and its role. Because when we talk, you know, when we when we're teaching, presenting, or even just talking to our clients, we talk about the, you know, when we talk about the core, basically it's muscles that are connected into the spine. But when you talk about the muscles responsible for breathing you know we we a lot of people we're not trained to you know a lot of a lot of people don't have exposure to the fact that the diaphragm is the major muscle that's involved with that but the diaphragm is also when it comes to the core you know if you look at the midsection like a can so the diaphragm is the top of the can and the pelvic floor is the bottom of the can and the muscles that surround or just wrap around the body like the transverse abdominis is the the size of the can so if you're trying to stack a bunch of cans on top of each other, you need to have a good sturdy side, but nice flat, solid bottom. But as it reflects to the core, you need to have basically good sturdiness, no, no dense, or I guess in for this conversation, you mentioned the word corruption. And I love how you how you say that. So without the diaphragm being corrupted, that well, if the diaphragm is corrupted, because let's say, Wendy, in your example, you're being taught to pull in. Well, the diaphragm can't drop down and therefore distend the midsection. So all the things, all the good things that happen with the diaphragm dropping, not just from a stabilization or mechanical standpoint, all the, all the things that happen around the organ systems, mo mobilizing the organ systems when we do breathe, all that gets neglected or ignored or, or I guess, decreased to some extent. So that's that's a big point that I like to bring up with, with my clients and athletes. Like you, you got to breathe. And, you know, when they have them put one hand on their chest and one hand on their, their belly and their belly should distend and minimal movement through the chest. And if you move your chest first, right, there is a little pattern dysfunction from that standpoint. So thanks for going into that, Mike. Yeah. The, the, the visualization of the can, I've not heard that before is really important because people have a hard time thinking what breathing deeply is. And if you look at a child breathe, you, you they kind of got this little pot belly and you see it moving. But 
as we get older, it's like you want tight abs and it needs to be locked in. And then that stops the function of breathing because people can't extend three-dimensionally. It's very tight and locked in. So it can be often a problem for people who have almost like that six-pack where they're trying to breathe properly, but they almost can't let go in that area. But I love the visualization of the can. Yeah, you know, Ken's been known to throw some of some different uh, examples out there because I'm very visual. So when he does that, I dig it. But um, those of you guys that are joining us today on Random Fit with myself, Wendy Batts and Ken Miller, we have a very special guest, Michael Watts, talking to us about the importance of breathing and its correlation on movement efficiency. I mean, we've talked a lot about what happens and why we should care about breathing. We've talked a little bit about, um, you know, what happens to our body, you know, whether we're doing more um, diaphragmic breathing or, you know, actually doing it correctly. Um, but Michael, can you go into some detail? Because again, you do this, you train people on how to breathe correctly. So what is the different types of patterning you would do with someone like myself, who obviously is not an elite athlete who sits behind a desk, but loves to go out and still work out and do things, um, kind of the weekend warrior, if you will, in relation to your your top tier athletes that really need to be able to excel and produce a lot of you know force and short amounts of time, so do you would you train us differently, or how does how does that process look? So I, I personally always like to onboard with assessment. I think it's super important. Um, Ken was speaking there about placement of the hand on the chest and the belly. That's actually in the literature called a high low test. So it's something you can do. Um, and what I'd like to do is try and test what we would call the three domains of breathing, that biomechanics, um, biochemical, and psychophysiological. That would then give me a baseline and then also help me guide my programming. One, to say which area do we maybe need to work on, but two, what is appropriate for you to do. So some form of assessment, which leads into programming, but I think the most important thing is what your goal is as an individual so by that even even the athletes like i have a professional golfer and he's more around focus and control whereas team sport athletes such, such as soccer they might be increase aerobic capacity and repeated sprintability a boxer wants to increase um force when he punches a cyclist is more about endurance so it depends on the use case and when it comes down to maybe someone who's not like i don't really need performance benefit most people will want to manage stress improve sleep maybe to come back to ken's point here and that's across the board and this is where breathing can really play a huge part in improving sleep quality and also helping people manage stress so maybe we can dive a little bit into those two of like how we get there with like a general person Perfect. So when, when we look at um, assessment, breath hold test is a very good way um, to understand somebody's sensitivity to carbon dioxide. And often we think CO2 carbon dioxide is this waste gas. It's very, very important in terms of helping the process of oxygen get to our cells and tissue. So we, uh, need, we need at least a normal response to the buildup of CO2. Secondly, your response to breathe is your tolerance to CO2, not your need for oxygen, which can often sound like quite odd. So think about your tolerance as a ceiling. If your ceiling is low, 
when the CO2 builds up in the blood and hits the ceiling, you're triggered to want to breathe. And that's just the phrenic nerve that kicks in, makes the diaphragm breathe. If you've got this low tolerance, you're much more likely to want to off-gas CO2, like your body saying, I need to get red. And that usually goes in the form of with the mouth a little bit faster, and then it becomes in the upper chest. That type of breathing is sympathetically driven or stress breathing. That's going to make your mind drive into mobilize, use resources, see a threat, become alert. And we talk often about chronic stress and leading ourselves in. You can be chronically stressed just by the way that you breathe. So if your breathing pattern is with the mouth, a bit noisy, shallow, you don't tolerate CO2 very well, there's a very, very good chance that you are living a very stressful life in terms of your physiology. So then if we think about sleep and if you think about recovery, you don't want to sleep or your body doesn't want to recover when it's in that sympathetic drive. And a good analogy I'll always use to people, if you think you've got your house and you're renovating your house, you're trying to work on the bathroom up there and there's a fire in the kitchen, you're, you will go and attend to the fire and you'll go and put the fire out. And when it comes to a nervous system response, you're kind of putting out fires all the time and never ever giving your body the chance to recover and restore. And if you think about the process of sleep, and this is where maybe we can talk about mouth taping a little bit, but let's just say somebody's got a normal breathing pattern. They go to bed, they're using the nose. It'll be slow and deep. So they get more parasympathetic drive, so more rest and digest. They're getting deep breathing so they're oxygenating the cells and tissue. Perfect. Imagine if somebody's now breathing fast or in the worst case, they've got a sleep apnea where they're holding the breath. Sleep quality is poor. Recovery is poor. Wake up the next day. They're not optimized. And you get in this vicious, vicious cycle of your breathing becomes even more dysfunctional, which leads to dysfunction in other parts of your life and definitely an increase in stress. Wow. Well, I love the the fact that you're going to talk about the taping because I know that there's some, <laughs> we've had this discussion and luckily it's not me. There's other people in my household that snore, that do not have sleep, sleep apnea. And I think it's like what you were talking about. There's some dysfunctional breathing patterns going on, especially during sleep. So can you talk about those, um, that situation of why you would possibly put tape on your mouth and what it would do to someone that maybe is a snorer to help all of those ladies that really want to get a good night's sleep without leaving their there own you, bedroom. <laughs> there you go. So, so, so snoring is a problem, and this is a huge sign of a dysfunctional breathing pattern. Something is occurring that's causing a turbulence where basically oxygen in is creating a sound and a turbulence. Some people will snore through their nose, but majority will snore through the mouth. So if you can close your mouth, that's hopefully going to solve a problem. Obviously, we want to address breathing in the day because how you breathe in the day influences how you breathe at night. But we know that if you use your nose, just because of the, the structure and the anatomy, you will breathe slower and you will breathe deeper. Those two things drive that parasympathetic. So you'll be a bit more in that rest and digest zone. The nose is also a natural filter. 
So any pathogens or bacteria will be filtered out. And really crucially, when we look at breathing with the nose, we have an increase in paranasal nitric oxide. So people, when they think, well, what's this? What's nitric oxide? There's, there's a quite a bit, bit of a craze where people drink beetroot juice and they drink it to dilate their blood vessels, to make their blood vessels bigger so more blood can get to where it needs to get to. Paranasal nitric oxide is a vasodilator. There's still some debate whether it becomes systemic, but what we see, and I can't remember the term when I was speaking about this a little bit, there's a correlation between if you can get somebody to breathe nasally and what did they call it? A natural aphrodisiac? I can't remember what the word was, but you kind of get where I'm going here. When we see an increase in blood flow, we see a normal response in the morning, especially for men. So this is where we start to think, okay, if I can start breathing nasally, there's benefits to the quality, but also blood flow. And when we think about sleep apnea and snoring, it becomes more prevalent as we get older. And as a male, once you get past your 40s, there's a very, very high chance. And if sleep apnea becomes so severe, then the risk of cardiac um, <clears throat> disease becomes higher and higher and higher. So it's really important that we can try and attend to how we breathe when we sleep. Because basically a sleep apnea is you hold your breath, you become what we say um, is hypoxic. So the amount of oxygen drops, the brain triggers, and then you breathe again. So some people with severe hypoxia, it's like climbing Mount Everest multiple times in the night, every night. And then you can see why people are exhausted and why there's so much strain on the cardiovascular system. So, so with all that, Mike, and those are things that I've been told personally, but when you look at uh, sleep apnea, um, resting heart rate is elevated, high blood pressure is elevated. Uh, you like you said, you feel exhausted by the next, you know, the next, you don't feel that rested, even though you could have been laying down for eight hours. Um, that's all you were doing, laying down and not really getting into that deep, restful sleep. And then you feel like you have to take a nap. Um, <clears throat> so as, as you've, you've mentioned, and Wendy, you mentioned the, the whole tape on the mouth, uh, it's, it is one of the, I mean, you could try something like painter's tape. I'm sure you're going to talk about this in a little bit, but you know, there are products specifically for that, but you know, it's funny when I look at my sleep patterns, you know, using my Garmin and it tracks, you know, how I've how I've performed through the night sleep wise. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, inevitably, inevitably, when I wake up in the morning, that tape is like on the side of my head, somewhere on my pillow. But I can tell like at some point where the quality of sleep kind of dissipated. Yep. I'm, I'm assuming that's when the tape came off my mouth. But for all those reasons you brought up, Mike. It forces you to breathe through the nose. You're 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 conscious now of the air flowing in and out, and it you do have to you you have to consciously, or I had to consciously slow myself down when it came to breathing through my nose, just because you know it's there's the passageways are only so big. It's not you know not as big as your mouth, but the the idea of now using that accessory, and I and I could see through how I performed again, using my, my garment, you know, my sleep quality was better. And until at some point the tape came off. So, <clears throat> but I'll, I'll testify to what you just said there. Mm. And, and that can be quite natural. Ken, that people 
find that the tapes like on the head or somewhere else when they yeah, wake yeah. up and, and that is a sign that you are trying to use your mouth to breathe and yes. the way that we progress there is better breathing patterns during the day maybe you have to do something formal in the day but also thinking about okay what other factors are causing me to mouth breathe when i sleep so for example if you're too hot in bed and the temperature increases, your breathing rate increases, and then you might switch to mouth versus nose. If um, you eat late, if you have alcohol, and I wouldn't recommend mouth taping, but how you onboard yourself to bed really, really influences what's going to happen to your sleep at night. So it's really taking care of the breathing in the day, thinking about the approach to sleep, and then getting the environment correct because heat sound or all these things can like disturb us um but yeah i highly recommend it um but if it it seems a little bit bizarre to people i would say try it during the day when you're conscious tape the mouth maybe when you're on the couch in the evening and just sit there breathing with your nose maybe you're watching a movie that's okay but you'll be getting some benefits there of nasal breathing while you're sat on the couch well, today on Random Fit, we're talking about the correlation of breathing and movement efficiency with myself, Wendy Batts, Ken Miller, and special guest, Michael Watts. And, you know, Mike, I think it's really important that you that you said, like, trying that maybe bef before you actually do it in the evening. But you've, you've touched on this a few different times, and I'm hoping that maybe you can provide a little more detail. But you're saying we want to improve our breathing every day, you know, during the day, because that's going to help train, you know, what happens to us when we, when we sleep and we start to get into that patterning. So how, how do you do that? Like, what does that mean? Like, how can I improve my breathing? Yeah. So we spoke about normal breathing patterns. So that becomes more of a habitual thing of, oh, think about my breathing. How am I breathing? Get towards a normal breathing pattern. The next part for me is formalizing a breathing session in the day. The literature suggests that as little as five minutes per day can have a significant impact on your nervous system. And that can be as easy as lying down on the floor, taping your mouth if you want, and just being present with the breath in through the nose, out through the nose, and a pause. There's obviously a ton of techniques, a ton of tempos, but the most accessible thing you can do, lie down, phone away, no distraction, concentrate on your breathing nasally for five minutes, and that will have a huge positive impact on your daily breathing habits, but also on how you sleep and how you perform and how you recover. So that's the easiest way to get into it, Wendy, is convert the breaths as much as you can and five minutes a day of formal practice. So to piggyback off of that, if someone's listening to this, they're like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this for five minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to become one with myself. I'm putting every, I need my phone because just so you guys know, Michael sent me a breathing technique of him telling me when to breathe in and when to breathe out, which to me, it's, it's a stress reducer. So apparently when I talk to him, he feels that I'm a little, uh, a little stressed. Um, and I have found it to be extremely beneficial. However, you know, there's a certain amount of time I should be breathing in and a certain amount of time I should be breathing out. And I mean, I, I want you to give your contact at the end. So if people want to truly dive into this and maybe get a program, which I strongly suggest, they can contact you directly. But if someone's just doing this to try it on their own, would you say 
breathe in for three seconds, out for two? Is it a three to three? Like, what are the ratios? Okay, so, so ratios is when we talk about the tempo or cadence of breathing. And this really leans on the psychophysiological. So if you're trying to influence your nervous system, either upregulate to be more stressed or downregulate to be less stressed, tempo is critical. Research will point towards around six breaths per minute when the vagus nerve, so the 10th cranial nerve, the governor really of that parasympathetic drive becomes activated. So think six breaths per minute. Okay, that's a lot slower than a normal breathing rate. So I'm going to have to concentrate on that. The best way to get to that is to formalize and give your condition around the inhale, the exhale, and the pause. So if you simply went for four seconds in, four seconds out, and let's say a one second pause, that's giving you around like nine seconds to do one single breath. So it's just over six breaths per minute, but it's okay to start there because right back to the start of the conversation, if you have a very low ceiling and that's CO2, and I'm asking you to breathe super slow, I'm saying, right, there's a great exercise. It's called a four, eight, one, and that's in the research. That may not be appropriate for you because that's going to build up carbon dioxide and it might actually trigger you into a panic attack or it might trigger some kind of anxiety because you build up so much CO2 that you need to breathe. So really easy place to start. If you want to condition, I would always say just breathe in and out through the nose at a pace that's comfortable. Then if you're like, okay, I want to push myself a little bit, four seconds in, four seconds out, one second pause gets you to that sort of magic number of around six breaths per minute. Now in the context of that, Mike, you're just talking about controlling or learning to control or implement initially implementing a breathing strategy just to get used to this practice, right? Yeah. So I, 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 if you think about breathing, I'd look at it as a pyramid. The bottom is the foundation of, of the good breathing habits or normal breathing pattern. You're trying to implement this nasal breathing pattern that's with control and the tongue's in the right position and you're breathing in the right direction. The next part is what I'd call more of a formal practice where we're trying to do something on a daily basis to build some resiliency, trying to strengthen our nervous system. So my formal practice is five minutes per day where I do this tempo breathing check. Then the next part is what I call more regulation. Regulation is, do I have the skill to intentionally move state? So when I'm super stressed out, do I have techniques that I can use in order to bring myself back into control? Or if I'm feeling a bit disassociated, do I have a technique to push myself into a bit more alertness? So breathing is really a very, very quick way to regulate self. But, and again, when we look at um, the OPT model or you look at um, the NESM, you have to have this structure. You can't jump to power and all this force and velocity training because it, it literally is the cannon from the canoe. Like you have to build like almost like strength and stability, a bit of endurance and then you can move up into a bit of strength and then you can get into your, your, your force and your power. And, and breathing is so similar when we look at the structure. So having a daily practice is critical and it's probably more simple than people think. It's just 
taking the time to dedicate yourself and in your mind having that real strong purpose of I'm doing this because I want to reduce stress because I want to be a better person showing up for my kid. Every time like something happens, I fly off the handle. That's a sure sign that your nervous system is overly stimulated and needs some work in the other direction. So think about the purpose, think about why you're doing it and take time for yourself in order to attend to your breathing to help with your health and wellness. So let me ask you um, to switch kind of gears where we're going from kind of down regulating, going into sleep, going to relaxation and recovery for your athletes or for anyone that is an endurance athlete. Would you suggest someone going through this process first and then possibly like when they're going for a run or doing a, a hard bike or even doing a spin class or whatever the case may be, would you suggest throwing tape on your mouth and then trying to go for that run or do, you know, is the tape on the mouth only for someone to do at night? Is this something they should do when they're really trying to build endurance? Yeah. So breathing and exercise is a really good way. So I talk often about piggybacking, like you, you, if you're doing something, can you piggyback breathing onto it? So if we take breathing and exercise, breathing will become a limiting factor if you try and remain nasal. So for example, let's say a hop on the bike, start to turn the pedals and let's talk zones like some easy zone one, like very, very easy, like very little effort. I should be able to maintain that nasal breathing pattern with control. I move into zone two, so a little bit harder. I should be able to maintain the nose. We see it like an inflection point around zone three, bordering two, where people then can't tolerate the amount of CO2, so they want to off-gas. So then they start, and that's where the breathing changes. So if you want to really accelerate your adaptation with breathing, lower intensity exercise, so walking, easy bike, um, zone two if you like to monitor the heart rate, nasal breathing is a great limiter because it will stop you from getting to an intensity. So it's great to piggyback on there. So I'm just going to breathe nasally. Want to remind yourself to breathe nasally? Maybe you mouth tape. Maybe you just hold water in the mouth. Like there's, there are ways to do it. So it's, and that's where we would say, okay, let me understand your journey a little bit. Oh, I do this. I walk every day. Right. Add nasal breathing on your walk. Okay, great. And, and all of a sudden I've got you doing Okay, I'm thinking about my breathing, converting my breath. I've got five minutes a day that I do. Every time I exercise, which I exercise every day, I'm nasal breathing. Um, at night, maybe I do some kind of down regulation practice, during sleep and mouth taping. And then you start to see how the journey builds and breathing becomes more integrated into your daily life versus a formal exercise. I, I, personally also really struggle to to do formal exercise of breathing i'll do one a day and it usually is 10 minutes more than that i don't find i have time but when i think about where i can add breathing in it's um during exercise during sleep um maybe when i'm doing recovery modalities like i might be in the sauna or i might be doing um massage or whatever it is i keep adding in the breathing and it kind of builds up the reservoir, if you like, to say, 
those 20,000 breaths, most of them have some kind of intent or purpose behind them versus me just not thinking about it. And the beauty is you will build new neural networks and you will upgrade the software. And then subconsciously, those breaths that you're not thinking about will get better. That's awesome. I, I, I kind of feel like you did it already within the last couple minutes, but um, <clears throat> for those of our listeners that listen to us here on, on Random Fit, what, what are two, three takeaways as far as their understanding of breathing or like you mentioned how you can build up to um, the, the practice of breathing throughout the day, but what, what are some key takeaways that if you only had one minute with, with somebody to talk about breathing, what would, what would they be? Uh, bring back a consciousness to how you're currently breathing, like try and check in and, and, and think what it's like. So when you think breathing, is it fast? Is it slow? Is it noisy? Is it quiet? Is it with the mouth or the nose and restore yourself back to a normal breathing pattern as much as you can. And that is the start point for anybody I work with, no matter what their goal is, it's key that we convert the breath because we're taking so many in a day. And if they are dysfunctional in a way of they're fast or they're noisy or they're shallow, that's going to have an impact on your mind. It's going to have an impact on your mechanics. It's going to have an impact on the amount of oxygen getting to you. So for all the will in the world, if you just say, I'm going to br breathe perfectly for five minutes a day, that's all I'm going to do. There's not that many breaths there compared to like the 20,000. So it's critical that you can restore a normal breathing pattern. And it's not overly sexy in a way. People are maybe looking for like yeah. those really crazy breathing exercises, but it comes back to the fundamentals, which a lot of us don't have a, a grasp of. So start there, have a daily practice. I think that's critical. Five minutes per day, you do the tempo or you can just breathe with your nose and then think about, and probably most of your um, viewers are, are fairly active. When you are exercising, can you breathe nasally during exercise and see how, how much you can breathe nasally? And that will be another great way to sort of bump up your breathing level, if you like. I love it. Well, Mike, I know, first of all, you taking the time today to be with us on Random Fit means a lot. Um, but if people really want to dive deeper, I know you offer classes. I know you, you're this is what you do. This is what you're really, really good at, along with many other things. However, if somebody wants to, to find you, where can they find you or contact you? Or um, if they have questions, maybe reach out to you. Yeah. So I do have a website, which is um, flow2plus, F-L-O-2-P-L-U-S.com uh, or Instagram, same handle at flow2plus. Um, so that's another good place to find me. Um, ask questions, DM me, send me stuff. So that's probably the easiest place to find me and, and connect with me. Awesome. All right. Perfect. Hey, Mike, glad to finally meet you after uh, these last uh, few years that I've heard about you and, and all that you've done. Um, but I'm definitely going to be looking you and your information up just because I know that what we just talked about on this podcast was just tip of the iceberg stuff. So thanks for taking the time and, and spending uh, this episode of Random Fit with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. All right. So for those of you listening to us here on Random Fit, thanks and hopefully got as half if you got half as much as what I got out of this episode, you got a lot.
So um, like, follow, subscribe, download, rate, and more importantly, comment. So if you want quality information, just like what we got with Mr. Mike Watts, um, be sure to let us know what that is. So until next time, everybody, take care and be well.